when you're looking to duplicate the systems and the processes and the leadership and the culture and the brand, everything has to be so strong and solidified first. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Shop Talk Podcast, brought to you by 124 Go. your co-host, Chris Suleman, and as usual, sitting across the Zoom from my great friend, Mr. John Calmer. We have an incredible guest today that we're so really happy to be meeting for the first time, and it, it's, it feels like it's actually been too long. We've been hearing your name forever through mutual friends and know that you've been out there, uh, Nina, d- you know, doing great things in the industry and really helping people out. Um, and making a name for yourself in the process, you know, which is really cool because you get to help more people. But um, for those of you who don't know, we're on with Nina Tulio. So Nina, welcome. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you guys today. I already love the energy. I love the banter back and forth. So yeah, this is really cool. Thank you again for bringing me on. Um, But if you, you know, if you haven't heard of Nina, I was checking out your website prior just to refresh. And, you know, I saw some really key things on there. I saw be totally fearless. I saw set goals. You know, you're an international business coach. You're a motivational speaker. You're an educational ambassador for Oligo Professional, which is awesome. Um, I know Jack Martin, who we had on, obviously, he also is a, a big fan of Oligo. But, you know, I believe that you don't become an international business coach you don't become a motivational speaker without experience. And, you know, you were a stylist behind the chair. You were a hair salon owner for 11 years in Pennsylvania. You've now moved yourself over to the West Coast. And uh, we're just excited to get talking with you. So, John, why don't you uh, get this conversation started? we got a lot to talk about with Nina. I'm going to do it. You know, one of the great things I want, I want to talk to Nina about how she got into the hair industry is kind of like our warm-up question that we ask, because I always find that fun. And then I also want to find out how you got you know, one of your store, parts of your story is you owned your own salon out in the Pennsylvania area. So I want to talk about that too. So first, how in the world did you get to be a hairdresser? Well, listen, it was, I narrowed it down to two things. I wanted to be a hairstylist or I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. Okay. And so, <laughs> right? I know a dolphin trainer. There's a lots of dolphins in Pennsylvania. Are there? No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a big animal lover and I always have been. And I remember going to SeaWorld when I was really young and watching the trainer and I thought, Ooh, that looks like such a really cool job. And they get to real, you know, be so close with the dolphins. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. Right. But then I also had this pull to being a hairstylist and really helping other people. I feel like like all hairstylists, we are just nurturers by nature. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of that innate sense in me to kind of help people and make them feel and look beautiful. So I was the first person to sign up for my vocational class. I, in 10th grade, I was all excited. I knew that I wanted to be a hairstylist when my mom told me that she said, listen, if you want to go to school for marine biology, you're going to have to go to school for four years and you're going to have to share a dorm with other people and share like showers and stuff. I'm like, what? No. I'm like, listen, I barely made it through high school. Okay. I had algebra one, my senior year in high school, and I barely made it through. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, this was obviously before, but I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I'm not a school person. It's just not me. And if I have to be in school for four years and then like, I have a bit of a germ problem. So now I'm like, I got to share a shower. So that was done. We nixed that pretty quickly. And then I decided that I wanted to be a hairstylist. And from then on, I never looked back. I never questioned and thought, "Mm, is this the right industry for me? I've been very fortunate to know that this is my passion and my purpose. So went to vocational school, did very well. It was one of the few areas that I was a, a straight A student and went to Allentown School of Cosmetology to finish my 250 hours. I was a night student. And then from there, I went and worked at a a chain salon. Actually, I worked at a small salon in Emmaus, Pennsylvania for a little while, and then worked at a chain salon where I was so fortunate to meet my mentors, Robin and Ray. And I worked with them for about eight years and in different capacities. So with them, I was a stylist, then I was a manager And then I was a district manager with them and ran eight locations for them for about five years 
We then, they sold that company and we mm-hmm. moved to Florida and we opened up a chain of salons, five salons in one year. Wow. So they were my college education. I'm mm-hmm. so fortunate. Uh, Ray has since passed, but Robin and I um, are still friends and she's still my mentor. I think about her often, some of the things that she taught me. And, you know, then I thought after being with them for so long, I just wanted to spread my wings and do my own thing. So I left West Palm Beach, Florida, went back to cold Pennsylvania and started my own salon. It was called Anthony Ashley. And I started in a small five, 600 square foot, maybe 650 square foot location. And after having the worst five years of business, because the first five years of my business were very, very tough. And after the first five years, uh, moved into a bigger location and grew that salon year over year till 2016 came and I decided that I wanted to sell it so I could do what I'm doing now, which is really spend more time um, grassroots style, helping salon owners and hairstylists building their business. So that's kind of the long and short of my whole journey. (laughs) You said uh, Robert and Ray ended up being mentors for you. Um, What was it about them? Because what I think I heard in your story is you actually followed them to Florida, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what was it about them? What did you learn? I mean, I know it's kind of a lot because you spend a lot of time with them and it's not going to get covered in 30 seconds or less, but what was it about those two people? I mean, there must've been leadership there that you're attracted to. There was some, obviously some education, but what was it about those two people? You know, yes, there was a lot of leadership there uh, and and a lot of kindness. They were very giving people, Mm -hmm. but what most attracted me to them was that they actually saw and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I believe that that's the true definition of a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so they gave me a lot of opportunity and they believed that I could, you know, they, I ran Robin salons for her. I was 20, maybe 23, 24 years old. I had 55 employees, eight direct reports. I I basically ran that company Mm -hmm. at that age. And she allowed me to do that. And she allowed me to make mistakes, but they showed me a different life. They showed me opportunity and it literally changed the course of my entire life, to be honest. That's amazing. Inside of that, because I love the fact that they, you opened up, you know, five salons and as a 23 year old, you were running those salons and you had, you know, what did you say? 10, 12 direct reports. I had eight. We had, they had eight yeah. salons. Yeah. Eight. Right. So, you know, define the difference between what sounds to me like a business, right. Compared to what most, let's say single owner salons kind of look like, like if I'm a salon owner and I'm listening to that and I go, okay, in order to do five, I must know something different. Define the difference between some the, the systems that it takes to develop and run multiple locations efficiently, effectively, and, and have some kind of consistency than a lot of people, you know, they open that door, they go to work behind the chair, and you'll hear the terms, you know, working on my business versus working in my business. Like if you could just snapshot that, what, what are some of the major differences there? Well, I think you mentioned a few. Consistency is one. Systems is another. Uh, pure vision and long-term vision is another and not uh, just making decisions for today. It's really thinking ahead. And I learned that from Robin, always looking, you know, as a leader, you should be looking the furthest into the horizon. Um, and I think that building and listen, doing five locations and having one location, they're both hard, right? Mm-hmm. But I think when you're looking to duplicate the systems and the processes and the leadership and the culture and the brand, everything has to be so strong and solidified first. And I feel like sometimes salon owners, uh, if we're just going to talk, you know, and my salon was, I was a small salon. I had, you know, five, six, seven people, you know, kind of on a shot on a rotation. Uh, it was considered a smaller salon, but if you have a salon of that size, a lot of times it's a hairstylist that has a dream to be an owner and not thinking in terms of necessarily being a leader, because there is a difference there. When you're thinking about doing multiple locations, you can't, there is just no, it's not a hairstylist thinking they want to be a leader. I mean, being an owner, this is like, we have to have strong systems in place. We have to create consistency. We have to make sure that 
our brand and culture and we know who we are so we can attract the right people. Mm-hmm. And then it's duplicating that and creating that system, you know, that consistency long-term. I think where sometimes we get it wrong is hairstylists that are bringing in a lot of money right. a week think that they can just go, go ahead and then just open up a business and all of a sudden lead a team. And the leadership part and the managing of the people part is the hardest of all of it. And that's where we're just not taught. We're not taught these things, you know? So I think that's kind of sometimes where we get it wrong. And there's nothing wrong with having a dream and and a goal of of being an owner, Mm -hmm. but you also have to know that as an owner and as a leader that you come last Mm -hmm. and you have to know how to coach and lead and guide people because they're looking for you, you know, in that kind of direction. So hopefully that kind of answers your question, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of dig a little deeper now, if we could, you had this great experience working for these, your two mentors, right. And open salons up North and then down South. And then, you know, have that, that moment where, you know, I want to, I want to do this for myself, or I want to build my own future. And yet from what I think I heard, you kind of struggled a little bit in the beginning. So mm-hmm. where, what, what's the difference between having that success working in this environment, this corporate environment, for lack of a better way to put it, and then the, maybe a little bit of a struggle that came with being independent. Like what was what was the part that you think, oh, you know, I forgot this part or, you know, it's different single than it is five. What was the missing piece for you there? I have two words, yes. safety and security. <laughs> when, you're, when you're working with someone that believes in you and you are working on their dime, mm-hmm right? It's different. It hits different. Sure. And so I always had them having my back. They always had my back with these salons and they trusted me to make smart decisions. And when I left them, I walked, not a lot of people know this, but I walked away from a lot. I was 26. Mm -hmm. I was making 65 K a year. I had a Mercedes that was paid for. I had insurance that was paid for car insurance, health insurance paid for phone paid for, Um, you know, Robin helped me get a down payment on the condo that I built in Florida. They did a lot for me. Mm -hmm. And I literally walked away from everything, had to turn in my car, get my own car Mm -hmm. after being, you know, five years of them doing all of this for me and moved back to Pennsylvania and started with literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that the safety and security that I had with them, I didn't have. And I went from managing walk-in salons to then opening my own commission salon. So I had to learn a lot of that on my own. And I made so many mistakes. And I, a lot of them had to do with finances. I invested a lot of money in marketing that didn't make sense because I didn't know who I was. I didn't Mm -hmm. know who I was as a brand. Um, I got myself into a lot of debt personally because I was seeking to fill a void personally. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of money that way. And year one, I was down to $800 in my bank account. And I thought I was going to have to close. And I did a lot of praying. And I fortunately ran an ad in the morning call. So we're going back 2006. Mm-hmm. Like I ran an ad in the <laughs> paper. Yeah. Right. And it was a it was an ad that, you know, told my story. And with that ad running full circulation, which it wasn't supposed to, um, it did run full circulation. That next day I went into my salon and I had 18 voicemails with people who wanted to get their hair done. So that was a turning point. And then going into the recession, Mm -hmm. I had gotten myself into a lot of debt. The recession hit, people were coming in less frequently, and I was already in $90,000 in debt by that point. Mm -hmm. And I made a choice to move out of the spot that I was in and move into a bigger location with a higher rent. And I was broke. When I say broke, like I had to sell my home to keep my business. I borrowed $5,000 from my best friend, Gus, didn't even ask me a question. And we rehabbed the salon the best that we could. And we opened up this larger space. And it was then when I had my praying paid off, but I also took accountability for the mistakes that I made. And I started to hold myself to a higher standard. I die, I took a deep dive into my brand and my business. And I had to create my own security and safety because I didn't have it with them. Now, listen, if I would have called them and said, guys, I'm really in a jam. Sure. Like, can you lend me some money? Sure. Hands down. But I didn't want to do that because I wanted to prove to myself and to them that I could do it on my own. Sure. So I think it's it was losing the safety and security and just all of the financial mistakes that I made and not having a brand and a culture right off the bat that really hurt me. It really did. But I was able to, you know, spring back and turn my business around. And, you know, we grew 20 to 30% year over year until I sold it. That's awesome. 
let me ask you another question. Um, what was the, the switch? And what I mean by that is you're in this place, right? Um, you're, you weren't doing well with your money as well as you would like to made some mistakes like we all do, right? Mm -hmm. We all make yeah. dumb mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. The recession happens. It just multiplies those mistakes, right? You took this chance of opening up a larger location, but then you said you kind of had to take ownership of your own crap, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had to kind of look deep and discover what it is that you really, how did that happen? It's like, did the, the, the sky open? Um, <laughs> did, uh, did the doves come down? Did you, was it a book? Were there read? dolphins was, involved? Were there dolphins, were there dolphins involved? involved? Right, you know. I wish. <laughs> because, you know, I, I love that story. Um, but, you know, what's that? Yeah, what that, happened? Yeah. Right. That's a great question. You know what? I really hit my bottom. Yeah. My bottom was selling my home. My bottom was literally being broke. My bottom was having creditors call my business saying that they were going to take my furniture. Um, my bottom was being tired because that wasn't the first time I was in debt, probably right. the second or the third. Mm -hmm. I was tired of making the same decisions over and over again, but this time it was different because it affected other people. Mm -hmm. And that shit took me, that got me because as an owner, you know how it is when, when you are a salon owner, you are responsible for your team feeding their children. And that gets, it get, I get chills and honestly makes me emotional think about, thinking about it now because I thought to myself, if I have to close this business, I have three or four people right now. Could they get another job? Yes. But I'm responsible for opening those doors so they can pay their bills and feed their family. Yeah. And that was the turning point for me because my bottom was dark. Mm -hmm. And when I sold my home, I had to move into an apartment, which fortunately the landlord that took a chance on me um, and rented the salon to me also had a cool apartment up the road. And this guy was like, he just kind of took me under his wing. Like I was his kid, you know, he was an older <laughs> Italian guy, super cool guy, and really just took a chance on me. And I had to own my mistakes and say, Nina, stop doing the same shit over and over and over. And I just kind of snapped myself out of it because the alternative was you close your business and you lose everything. And I just, I, I didn't have time for that. Honestly, I just was like, I'm not quitting. I got to keep going. Well, kudos to you. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. It's, and Thank you. you know, it, it really is a spot. Like um, I'm so happy to be hearing this story. I mean, it's, it, listen, if you owned a salon in 2008, I don't care if you were big or small, mm -hmm. <laughs> you were affected, you know, you were affected. I mean, you know, I, I, I remember that time with shivers having, you know, having our salon and whoo, the, the stuff you went through was, it was, almost, you could put it in a book, really. Yeah. You could put it in a book. You talked earlier about the fact that models are changing now. And so if you're, you know, if you're a 10 year or under salon owner right now, this is your 2008. The, the experiences that you're having right now could feel very similar to what, you know, we would have experienced at that time, just because the change was so uncertain. And it wasn't necessarily that, you thought it was going to last forever. You thought, you know, you just didn't know. Now, I think, you know, where we sit today, July the 1st, 2021. It's 2022. 2020. No, don't tell me. It's 2022. <laughs> it's wet. It's, you know, it's way better than if we were having this discussion this time last year, right? <laughs> you know, smoke is cleared. One, one thing's for certain hairstylists that are in the game are busy right now. But salons are still figuring it out again. And so you talked about, you know, some some the fact that this change is happening. Um, how do you see that? And, you know, what are your thoughts for salon owners in the moment that are having that experience? And first, I want to say that my heart just broke for everyone, salon owners, independents. It was really, really hard to watch. And I can truly relate to your point. It was like 2008, 2009 for many people who went through the recession. And I know how scary it is because, you know, again, it's those words, safety and security. We, we want that for ourselves, but we also want to be able to provide that for our teams. And when you can't do that, it makes you feel inadequate in ways, you know? And so kudos to salon owners, independents that have really been just grinding and getting out of this. And, you know, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel and there has been a lot of shifts and changes. And the biggest thing and biggest piece of advice that I can give to a salon owner or to a hairstylist is to be open to change 
because the way that salons were being run five, 10 years ago is no longer, you know, stylists want a little bit more in terms of growth strategies. They want to know where they're going. They want to know how they're going to make more money. They want to know uh, what their future looks like. They want to be a part of a brand that's bigger than themselves. And now more than ever, they want security. They want safety. And we have to be able to provide that for them. And so I'm not saying switch your switch your switch up your business model from commission to booth rent. However, there is a big shift, and I've been doing a lot of coaching to this, where we have commission salons that would never even think about having um, chair rentals in their salon, and now they're incorporating them in. And again, and I stand by this, and I've said this for years and years, it's very hard to run two business models out of one location, meaning booth rent and commission. It's very hard. Can it be done? Absolutely. But that's where the systems and the leadership and communication come into play. But what I'm seeing a lot of it is, is we're hiring assistants, we're training them, they become commission stylists, they move through the growth strategy and level system, and then they have an option to become a renter. So we don't lose them. And so there can be a, there's really good opportunity in that. And I have been seeing a lot of owners who never thought that they would rent chairs, rent chairs. And I want to help them be confident in the way that they do that. So we can fill in those gaps where the communication may not be the best or both sides and both parties feel like they're being served properly. And so that's the biggest shift. And I think that it is being a little bit more flexible, you know, stylists want freedom and they want flexibility. That's why most go out on their own. So if there's some ways that we can provide them with a little bit more freedom and flexibility, doesn't mean that they get to come and go and do whatever they want. But what are some tweaks that we can make to make things more flexible and make give them a little bit more freedom that will allow them to be more loyal and stay longer? You know, these are the things that we kind of have to think about. So I think just being open to change in all ways in your business is key right now. I love that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, talking about that being open to change, you know, we had talked before the pre-call that you had done a survey a while back about the reasons people leave, right? Why stylists leave companies. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I did a poll over 200. It was quite a few hundred uh, stylists that, you know, kind of participated in this poll because mm-hmm. I'm always curious to find out why, like what's going on, you know, in mm-hmm. salons and why are stylists leaving? And so the number one reason, which I don't want to say I was shocked, but the number one reason actually is not enough education. I thought it was leadership, but it's not enough education. Mm-hmm. Um Again, stylists are looking for long-term growth and they Mm -hmm. want to know how you're going to provide them with education and that long-term growth while they're with you. Mm -hmm. And so that was number one. They felt that um, they felt like the salon owner did not invest enough Mm -hmm. in their education in their salon. They didn't want to invest the money. This was feedback from them. So don't come at me. (laughs) This is feedback from them. They felt like the owner didn't want to invest enough money or they felt like the owner felt like education wasn't important. Mm -hmm. And then number two was lack of leadership. And these ran very closely together. Um, They felt like the salon owner was not invested in growing their own business. Sure. Um, They felt like they didn't have direction and they felt like there were not a lot of systems implemented that created consistency in the business, which led to a lot of confusion. Stylists mm-hmm. didn't know whether they were coming or going. There was favoritism. You know, the people who earned a lot of money could come and go and do what they wanted. And there were no systems in play and there wasn't a lot of um, structure and feedback. So that was number yeah. two. Mm-hmm. I, I want to touch base with number two first. And I want to circle back to number one, if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I, I, I love number two for a whole host of reasons. But one of the things like we've got 130, 140 stylists at, at our salons. And one of the things we hear from time to time is, you know, how can we help? How can we be better? And one of the things they say, you know, going back to a, a system piece, that accountability piece is they want to be held accountable, which is funny because that's the, one of the things our managers struggle with. Oh, I got to go write this mm-hmm. person up. But it isn't about writing people up, you know, accountability and writing people up or two, writing somebody up is disciplinary, right? Mm-hmm. That's different than accountability. Um, and stylists, they ask for that. They, it's probably on the top three list of things, you know, we talk about. Um, in regards of they see when we're not holding others accountable, they know when we're not holding them accountable, mm-hmm. right? They, they want that structure and that leadership. Now that's different than saying you got to be here at nine, you can't leave till 502, mm-hmm. right? That's micromanaging. Um, but 
you know, I hear that often. So I find that interesting. I want to get back to the education piece because, you know, as we talk, you know, we coach too. And one of the things that we hear, and so maybe you can shine a light on this for some folks is why well, supply my staff with education. They just don't come right. Mm. Oh, they don't go to the classes. So the, the, the owner manager is like, I hear you, Nina. I, I want to provide more education for my team. I want to support them. I, I want them to see that I'm investing in their growth, but they don't come. You know, where's the disconnect there, do you think? I get that. And I've been there myself. Yeah. Uh, I think the disconnect is, you know, in- inclusivity, mm-hmm. including the team and allowing them to be a part of the decision making when it comes to what kind of education is coming into the space. And not everybody's going to agree, sure. but they may have a couple artists that they agree on that they want to go see or a class that they want to go travel to together. And I think having the team be included in a lot of these decisions is, you know, it makes the difference. The other part of it too is if you have stylists that are not invested in education, you have to ask yourself, are they for my brand? It, because if you are a heavy educational salon, a heavy driven educational salon, and you have stylists that don't want to show up, those are questions that you have to ask yourself. Do the characteristics and core values align with what I'm trying to accomplish here? And when stylists don't want to come to education, is it because they don't like what the education is, or is it because they're not invested in themselves and your brand? And so sometimes I feel like those are red flags a little bit if a stylist isn't invested, but in order to make them a part of it, it's like, hey, let's have a meeting. Let's do a 20 minute meeting. Let's talk about, or maybe an hour and let's write out all the educators that we want to see together collectively. And then let's make individual lists. And then from there, let me see what I can do to make this happen and uh, get excited about the education that we're going to be doing together. I think they have to be, it has to be people and, and, and a type of education that they really are invested in too, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I agree. And I'm going to circle back to the leadership piece because I know, you know, John was kind of sharing some thoughts on that. And, you know, that's, it's interesting because when we asked you pre-podcast and we're going to go to this topic after this, what's kind of missing or what are the hot topics in the industry for you? It was leadership. It was flexibility of model. You talked about culture attracting and retaining stylists and leadership and culture is a place that we hang out a lot with when we're working with salons, even inside of our own discussions, when we're talking about how to really strengthen what, what we have, what does leadership mean to you? Right. And, you know, because I think about a salon owner that gets busy, they get behind the chair, they, they open a salon and, you know, they get a business card that says they're the owner. They can't get fired. Right. So that's, so that's a plus, but from there, you know, that's not leadership. That means, you know, you, you own a business and, and, you know, you have those responsibilities. What's the transition from stylist behind the chair to salon leader? And what are the differences in maybe philosophy and outlook and possibly even job like tasks? Mm. Like what does a leader do that a salon owner doesn't always do? Well, leaders obviously do create structure and routine. And I know, John, that you mentioned that, and I'm really big on that. I think structure and routine and accountability is huge. But what I, when I think of a leader, I think of someone that makes an impact on somebody else, whether it be in their business or in their personal life. I also believe that leaders are able to bring out the, the fullest potential in other people when they don't feel that they have that potential within them. It's coaching them. It is holding them accountable. It is keeping them on track. And it really is sitting with them and getting to know more about what excites them, what motivates them, and really coaching them to their dream. It's not about coaching people. When you're a leader, you're not coaching people to make more money. You're not coaching people or you're not saying, well, you got to bring in $2,000 this month. You have to understand what really excites them and what their goals are. And then you coach them to that. So for an example, if someone wants to get out of debt and I spent time doing this with my own team, how can we get you out of debt? Because I feel when people don't have debt, they show up as a better version of themselves, right? Because that that heaviness is not a way better when you don't have debt. Absolutely. And so if the goal is to get out of debt, everything we talk about, headcount, pre-booking, service sales, RTS percentage, everything is going to take us right back to getting out of debt. What do we have to do to get you out of that? And leaders know how to take accountability for their own actions. They know and obviously have 
a vision for their business long-term. They allow and want to create other leaders. And I also believe, and I'm, I'm a big believer in servant leadership, because I believe if I can say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? What can I do to help you reach your goals? These are questions that you have to ask yourself as a leader, you ask your team, um, you know, those are the things that are going to create cohesion and create loyalty because it shows that you care. You know, leaders really, you know, servant leader is a little bit different because it's not a, a big focus on numbers and business, because I believe that when you serve others, the numbers and the business will grow organically. If you invest time in your people, your best investment is not marketing. It's in your team because the way you treat your team is the way that your team will turn around and treat your clients. So it is the investment in them both personally and professionally. And people say, well, why would I want to invest in my team personally? I don't want to get close with them. People are going to turn around and leave. Listen, what's the alternative? They work in your business and they're confused and they don't feel cared for. Yeah. Like we have to understand that we have to invest in them. So we make an impact on them long-term. So when they do leave, cause they will, yep. we have to be okay with people leaving our business. It happens that 15, 10, five years from now, they'll look back and say, wow, you know, Nina, maybe she was a little crazy at times, but I understand where she came from because now I can apply these leadership uh, techniques and, and philosophies to my own business. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a better person because I worked with her or him. Right. So long winded on that, but that's really what, because leadership can mean so many different things, but I think it's making an impact. I mm -hmm. think it's believing in people when they don't believe in themselves, it's coaching them, it's nurturing them. And it is also holding them accountable when they fall off the wagon. That's the piece I think we miss the most because it's scary. Right. Like, I don't want to hold people accountable. They're yeah. going to get mad at me. They're going to quit. Yeah. yeah, they're going to quit. Right. Yeah. And you, yeah. you get held hostage by your team. You know, I say it like this because I think about, you know, what my mother did. <laughs> you know, my mom is the person who told me no. Mm -hmm. And she was the person I had the greatest respect for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I have a good friend of mine who could tell you like he was so good at saying no. And you didn't ask a second time. And I had the greatest respect for him. And it's the people that yes you to death all the time. You might like that you get yes. You might like that, you know, you can put your finger in the candy jar. But the fact is, you're going to end up with diabetes, right? Like leaders are the person that can compassionately tell you, no, no. you can't, you know, don't do that. That's not going to be a good decision for you. Mm -hmm. do, I might not know what you should do instead. But don't do that, you know, whatever that thing is. And I really believe that that accountability part is the part where sometimes you have to say to somebody like, no, mm -hmm. 10 minutes late is not on time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like that doesn't work for the person on the other end of that. And it doesn't work for our organization because it makes us all look bad. Right. And, Absolutely. you know, I mean, and, and those are the places where you have to say it. And, and I've so often heard our younger stylists, this is, I, I love when I hear this because it makes me know the managers inside in of our locations, the, the hard work that they have to do is, you know, you take a younger stylist who maybe doesn't have the values that you have yet. And you know, let's use an example of why should I do my hair for work every day, right? And then you see that person three years later and they look like spot on and they've got a brilliant clientele and they're doing awesome work. And they'll say something like, I finally decided that I was going to listen. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The shit worked. Mm -hmm. It worked. This was a good decision for me to listen to Aaron, who has been on me about my hair for three years, you right. know? And I mean, it's just, it's, it's what it is. I guess on the other side, Nina, I want to get your answer and response on this. Like, why is it important if I'm a stylist to have a mentor, a leader? I mean, you know, I can do this on my own. Absolutely. And listen, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. I went to his seminar a couple of years ago, changed my life. And he always, he always says, if you want to do something, find something that already did it and do it like them, put your own spin on it. Don't steal their ideas, but find someone that already did it and learn everything that you can from them. That's a gift. Finding a mentor really is a gift in this industry. And 
why not soak up all of the knowledge and spend time with someone who had already made the mistakes, Mm -hmm. right? Who already knows, you know, the highs and the lows and really just absorb everything that you can from them because they're going to help you in a way, maybe fast track, you know, because it took, I mean, all the mistakes that I made, I probably went over the river and through the woods. Right. And I did have a great mentor, just in a little bit of a different capacity when I opened my salon. But the reason why I'm so passionate about what I do is that if I can save someone time, money, and energy by sharing my mistakes, because I think as a leader, it's very important to be vulnerable and transparent, you know, allowing your team to see that you're human is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, that's what it's all about. And mentors typically are not afraid to be vulnerable. They're not, they're not afraid to share those mistakes. They're not afraid to share their down and out moments. And it allows the stylist to say, okay, that may not work for me. Okay. That does work for me. You know, she or he did this. And now I know that that may not be the right option for me. I think it's just, it's, it is just such a great way to really grow not only professionally, but personally, when you have a mentor, it really is such an amazing experience when you have someone that just has your back, but also is going to hold you accountable and keep you on track. Mm-hmm. For those uh, in our audience who say, oh, I'd love to, how do I get a mentor? You know, how do, how do I find one? So I think that it's important to find a mentor that has similar values. It could mm-hmm. be someone in your salon. It could be a teacher from your school. It could be someone that you see on Instagram, it could be somebody like, I would love to be your mentor. And I, 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 that I, that's like my goal and dream, right. Is to help people and mentor them. I think it's, excuse me. I think it's spending time looking and, and seeing what it is that they're doing that you may want to do. Like, what is it that you vibe with? Maybe it's a technique. Maybe it is the way that they've grown so quickly. Maybe it is the way that they open up five salons or 10 salons. It, it has to be something that you connect with. And it has to be a person that you can value and respect and have pure honesty with. And it takes time. But a lot of times it comes from your circle. It comes from the people that you're around. It comes from the someone that you're in a salon with or someone that you share a lot of time with. And it could be, you know, in school or in a salon that you were at previously. But I think that it is so important to make sure that you feel aligned Mm -hmm. and that it's someone that you can be yourself around, that you're not tiptoeing around, walking Mm -hmm. on eggshells. You have to be able to be raw and real and gritty and make those mistakes and discoveries and allow them to guide you through it. You know, mm-hmm. it is a process. It, it can be a process for sure, but I, f- I feel like there's a mentor out there for everyone. You know, I'm going to tap into your inner mentor right now, if I can. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things you had talked about was being open to change. And we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe some flexibility in your business model, but there's more to it than that, right? What are the other things that maybe salon owners who've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, and then navigating the new normal, for lack of a better way to put it, what other things do we need to be open to or keep our eye on in, in regards to change and how people want to work these days? I think, so the freedom part in terms of stylist, I, if we'll break it down in categories, this is yeah. what stylists are looking for. I think the freedom aspect of it and a little bit more flexibility is key. Really dive deeper into ways that you can create flexibility and freedom for your team where mm-hmm. it's still cohesive. It's still brand consistent mm-hmm. that your team feels that they are included and they are a part of something. And so if you are the strict, this is the way things are, this is the way things have to be. I think we kind of have to like not micromanage as much and allow people to be artistic and be creative and be their own mini brand within your brand and, and, and have that be okay. Right. Um, I think that's one key aspect that's really important on the system side. You know, I think it's technology. You know, when we're thinking about systems, a lot of salon owners that I have worked with or that I see are resistant to technology. It could be online booking. It could be, uh, you know, automation. It could be, you know, email campaigns, many ways that you could, you know, market, but creating sheer convenience for your guest is key. And I took a little while to jump on the online booking wagon because I have control issues and I just was nervous that it was going to be a shit show. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I would have done it sooner. And I think salon owners, especially that have been in the game 15, 20, 25 years, technology is our friend. 
And we have to make sure that we are current and that we are up on this stuff because it is just creating sheer convenience for the guest. And that's really what we're trying to do. Like digital intake forms, you know, feedback forms, automation, thank you emails going out automated, like all of this stuff should be happening like clockwork in your business because guests want to be with someone long-term, especially now. They don't want to go bebopping around and jumping and trying to like, people may feel safer, but they're still cautious. And so they want to find a salon home. And so creating these systems that are going to create convenience for them is key. So those are probably the two key areas that I would say, you know, be open to. Love it. Um, before we move into uh, another topic that's on my mind, culture, I want to get in there. Nina, I'm on the other side of this. I'm, you're in my earbuds right now. I'm loving every word I'm hearing. How do we get a hold of you? How do we find you? Sure. Well, I live on Instagram, so you can find me on Instagram at Nina Tulio. Please feel free to slide into my DMs anytime. I just want you to know that I really am a resource for you and a source of support. I respond to every single one of my DMs. Uh, you can also check out my website at ninatulio.com. Awesome. John, how do you think people would feel if I said you could slide into my DMs? I, for some reason, I feel like that would creep people out a little bit if I You know what? It, so but... let me do it for you. Listen, Chris Suleme, you know, he's single. So if anybody out there wants to slide into his DMs, I'm okay with it. Okay. See, and it, it even sounded less creepy when you said it. But for some reason, when I say that, I know that there's some creep factor Listen, to it. So whenever you need a wingman, you just let me know. I'm, I'm there thanks, for thanks, you thanks. So yeah. when Nina said it, it sounded amazing. I loved it. Yeah. Um, Nina, let's talk culture. So what is it? Why is it important? How do we develop it? Culture is the core values of your business, who you are, what you stand for, what your promise is to your clients, your mission statement, every single way that you create uh, cohesion within the team. So that culture and that cohesion can then run off and run over to the client side, right? So it, it goes from little things on how you treat each other, how you talk to each other, the characteristics that you require as an owner. You know, I, I work with and I coach people and say, let's talk about the characteristics that you have for your team. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, what kind of qualities do you want them to have as humans? Not technique, because we can train people to do anything, but we can't train them to be good, honest souls, right? And in order to do that, you have to be a good, honest soul, right? It's leading by example. So writing out your core values is a way for you to start to create culture. And core values could be we operate from a space of integrity. We are honest. We are transparent. We work from a space of love, care, and compassion. We're genuine. you know. And this is the way that you then roll over and treat your team. So then it stems over to the uh, style, uh, client side. And mm -hmm. When you, you have to know who you are first, which is one of the areas that I made a mistake in because I didn't know who I was as a business owner. And then you have to know who you serve. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have to know how you serve them differently. Yeah. Those are such big that, you know, I find that when you talk to a, a lot of salon owners about that, I'm going to use my sister as an example. You know, we used to talk about that a lot and we would say, you know, well, who are you trying to be for? And, you know, God bless her. I mean, she just didn't get that language that didn't land. So, you know, when a, when a salon owner hears that, what does that mean? Like, you know, who, who am I for? Like, don't we just do hair? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the way I used to think, you know, I used to think everyone that has hair is my client, but then yeah. when I started to really, and this kind of runs over to branding too, like what you're branded. I think mm -hmm. brand and culture, run, you know, run together. The brand is more so on the outskirts. That's the mm -hmm. position that you're, um, sharing with the client, the culture more is the brand in, internally interior. Right. Um, but yeah, who do I serve? You know, I think it's really understanding who your target market is in your salon. Now your stylist, they have their individual target market. And when you coach them, you're going to learn more about that individually, right? Cause yeah. you may have Judy that's great with weddings and updos, and you may have Carolyn that's great with, uh, doing short haircuts. Right. So we have to know who they are and what kind of clients they want to spend time with. But there is an age demographic. Like what does that age demographic look like for you? What is the average? You know, who are you wanting to spend time with? What do they do for a living? What are their hobbies? You know, these are things that you have to ask yourself when you're thinking, who do I serve? Mm -hmm. You know, who really am I targeting right now? Because everyone that has hair isn't a target market, you know, right. and we're kind of like throwing darts at a board, hoping that they stick. And I think that when it comes down to 
uh, target market, it, it can take a little time. You know, we we can't understand target market and and our brand and culture overnight. But the core values is a good starting point, and really dialing into who you want to spend time with and knowing those demographics, whether it's age, hobbies, what they do for a living, you know, professions. You know, for us, it was like the nurses, the teachers. Um, real estate agents, like those were our core demographic. And then from there, we had individual mini brands from the stylists, you know, that they really had their lane that they were in. Uh, It takes time. So give yourself a little bit of grace and, you know, spend some time on looking at your audience and look who's sitting in your chair every single day. You know, what does that look like for you? And then dialing it in a little bit tighter and and then thinking how can i serve them and then how can i serve them differently yeah it so takes time though yeah. it takes time to build that i think the first two three years maybe two years you are doing everyone's hair mm-hmm. right you got to get your hands in there because you got to see what it is that you like and make, right. make your heart pump and feel good mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yep. because if we just come out of school and we say i only want to do lived in looks well, you haven't even had a chance to do shortcuts and, you know, do root touch-ups and do all of the things, right? You so- may love doing men's haircuts. You just gave it half a minute, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I think it's spent, you know, understanding that you got to get in there. You got to say yes to a lot more things before you say no. And then after, you know, the third year or so, and what I used to do with my team was let's dial it in now. Now you got your hands in all the things. What really makes you excited? What really mm-hmm. makes you feel good? Yeah. And let's get you to be a master in that area. And then let's start to market you in that way. And that's that, that's where that leadership aspect kind of comes in. Yeah. yeah, it is the truth. I mean, experience, I spent today with two of our new hires and one of the pleas that I make whenever I'm with a newer person that says, you know, this is my favorite thing. This is what I gravitate towards. I go, I love that you have a favorite thing usually to me that tells me that's the thing that you had more natural ability for it Mm -hmm. it, right and you know what we love doing things that we are good at it makes us feel good we get approval we get to see a finished product and it looks good however don't judge it yet Mm -hmm. like you know spend a little more time developing that 45 degree angle, spend a little time, you know, developing that blunt line and see if haircutting starts to make some sense over time, you know, because you might one day hit that nail, that clean, crisp, beautiful graduated Bob and go, I love cutting Bob's, you know, (laughs) but, but just because the one thing came more naturally, doesn't really mean it's the thing you're better at. You just, you know, you just need to develop. And so I uh, couldn't agree more guys. I'm looking at the time. I mean, we're blowing through time here. It's such Man. a great conversation. We always love when we have somebody who's on, who's an educator. We love everybody that we have on, but you know, with educators, it's so nice. You can ask a question and then they just fly, you know, and I've, I've <laughs> loved listening to um, a lot of the answers that you've given john question what's on your mind or i how- love how nina talked about it's not about changing your business model although that's always an opportunity too but it's about thinking a little bit differently right now right um you know we can spend a lot of time talking about this generation that generation blah 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 blah, blah. here's the thing there's nothing you can do about it right that's just life but what we can do is as nina said let's let's think a little differently you know, maybe there are ways we can offer more value to our teams, to our staff, whether that's leadership, whether it's a defined culture, whether it's the systems and the support, you know, all those tools that people want, because I think that if we can adjust a little bit and have that give and take that comes with any great relationship, right, everybody can thrive. And, and I love that thought process. You know, let's think a little different. Let's not so be so rigid and we have to do it this way, you know, especially because that's the way I was taught and it worked for me. So it should work for you too. Um, Nina, we've loved this discussion. Our listeners are everywhere from cosmetology school students on up. I feel like we could talk for hours longer, but anything you feel like we're leaving on the table as far as today? This has been great. Thank you guys so much. I really could chat with you both all day long and you're funny too, which, you know, makes it, makes it all, all worthwhile. Who's funnier? Uh, Definitely (laughs) you. I can't, I can't judge yet. In leaving people, you know, we are in a beautiful industry. We're so fortunate. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, be open to opportunity. There is so much opportunity in this business. And if you are a salon owner and maybe you're thinking about 
not being a salon owner anymore, that's okay. There's so much opportunity. I'm, I sold my salon back in 2016. I'm still kicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could be an educator. You could be a platform artist. There are so many ways that you can serve and give back to our community and also feel fulfilled. And I think one of the things that I would say is make sure that this is, I, I don't live in regret because I kind of just keep it moving, you know, but I've had these conversations a lot lately and I shared it on Instagram, but make sure that you say yes to a lot of things that don't have to do with your business. And I know that that's contrary because I like to hustle and grind. And I think that we have to, right. In order to create success, whatever that looks like for you, but make sure that you say yes to more things that have to do with your personal life. That's one thing that I learned being an owner was that I said yes to everything that had to do with my business. And I said, no way more than I should have when it came to my personal life and my family. And I missed out on a lot of opportunities. So create some structure and boundaries within your business that allows you to have enjoyment and joy and downtime and relaxation and just live in those moments because you never, ever get them back. Your business will always be there. So that's kind of where I want to leave everybody with today. Yeah. I love that. So, um, check out Nina's website, huh. ninatulio.com. Got it. I'm looking yeah. at a link. All right. Yeah. No, the website looks great. It looks like you've got some great courses online. Um, and, um, so that's amazing. So if you love what you heard, check her out for sure. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in, and I love that about these podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. There, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews. You know you want to do it. You know you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets his his wings. (laughs) Did you know that? Yeah. And while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up. Um, You know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world help share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same Uh, in hours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.